Welcome to the Humanity Matters Podcast, where we discuss philosophy, faith, leadership, nonprofits, and a host of social issues. We want to add value and understanding the dignity and freedom of human beings. For more information, visit the website philipfletcher.org. And now, the Humanity Matters Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Dr. Philip Fletcher here. We're at the end of season three, episode 22, Ask Dr. Phil. I hope y'all appreciate the content that is coming up. Hey, once you support this podcast, you can find me on Venmo. Just look up Dr. Philip Fletcher. That's Dr. Philip Fletcher or on PayPal, pfletcher73 at gmail.com. Looking forward to doing season four. We got Meet the Candidates coming up. A lot of great content. I appreciate y'all very much. And so now let's jump into Ask Dr. Phil. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Dr. Philip Fletcher here. And tonight is going to be uh, Ask Dr. Phil. So uh, glad you could join us. If you have a question, uh, just join in on the comment section and I will take your question. I got a list of questions I'm going to uh, honest, uh, get through uh, as we go through this. So, hey, if you got a question, uh, put it in the comment section and we will get to it. We got a lot of stuff to tackle tonight. So, um, yeah. So you want to connect with me? Again, like my page, Dr. Philip Fletcher. Also, like my uh, organizations, the City of Hope Outreach, you can find on Facebook, Hope Village. You can find on Facebook as well as Replicate. All those you can find on Facebook. Find me on Instagram, Dr. Philip Fletcher. Also on Twitter, Phil Fletcher. And visit the website, philipfletcher.org. Chandler, who was the jazz person uh, I was listening to Miles Davis, bro. Miles, get on it. Get on it. I'm just enjoying him at this stage in my life. Hey, as you're watching this, hey, invite other people. Let's do a watch party. All that kind of good stuff. I hope to drop some good knowledge and all that kind of stuff to everybody. Uh, I'll be giving away some books. Created in Freedom. I'll be giving away three, as well as giving away three shirts from our Hope Village project. So what you need to do is this. All right. Uh, First, share this video. All right. Right now, if you're watching, just go out and share this video. Make sure you tag me in it. Uh, Second, uh, make sure you go like the page, Dr. Philip Fletcher, if you have not already. All right. And then simply just give me a smiley face in the comment section. All right. And I will choose uh, three people and you can get a book or a shirt. My book uh, came out recently, Created in Freedom, Poverty and Economics is the first of three. uh, Really looking at the power and amazingness of human beings. And so first looking at Created in Freedom, Poverty and Economics. And the second one coming out next year will be. Uh, the dignity of work, and then at the end of the year of 2021, Lord willing, will be uh, human dignity. So there you have it. 
All right, so welcome again to the Humanity Matters Weekly. This is my kind of semi-annual Ask Dr. Phil, where you get to ask me, hey, any questions, right? It's your opportunity uh, to drive the conversation, uh, and you can hear my honest thoughts on things. Not that you don't get my honest thoughts on other things, but, uh, you know, I'm responding to things. So got a lot of great questions, some personal, uh, some dealing with, Uh, some things that have been going on in the past uh, couple of weeks. And so we will tackle those and we will be tackling tonight's statues, the Confederacy. I've been, you know, you know, people got their thoughts on that whole thing. And I got my thoughts on what to do with statues. I'm going to lay out some possibilities and all that kind of stuff. But more so, I'm going to answer some of these questions that came at me from a, hey, go look at the source documents type thing, make your mind up from there kind of approach. So, first of question, all right, it came from Tyler, all right, when will you run for office? When will I run for office? So, uh, I've thought about this question long and hard, thought about it for a few years, Um, as far as like the whole run for office thing. And I want to tackle that question from different vantage points. One uh, from a personal uh, vantage point. Um, You know, it sounds cool, uh, you know, have the opportunity to be able to engage in policy and examine different things, how you can quote unquote help people. Right. Uh, And so before I have made up my mind, because I have, but I'm not answering this question directly tonight, but um, I needed to do the necessary homework to understand how uh, governments function, Uh, you know, read some political philosophy, uh, that kind of thing. Try to hammer down like what it is I believe and um You know, how do we conduct ourselves uh, as men and women living in a organized society? Right. Uh, One that would not conflict with my deeply held beliefs about uh, our existence in this world um, and our purposes while we're here. Uh, So that was important. So uh, the other thing, second thing, personal, kind of like a one A, one B was I look at how politicians are treated, right? At the local, state, and federal level, right? And I think since the uh, 2008, right, when uh, President Obama uh, came into office and then uh, his two terms, and now we've got President Donald Trump, while it's kind of descended into a lot of madness, right? there's not a lot of listening. There's a lot of tribalism that has happened, right? You know, you got Republicans over here, Democrats over here, got libertarians over here. You got your different strains of socialists over here. You got your communists over there, right? And you know, I try to engage and have thoughtful conversations with all those types of persons because I have, right? Um, and hear what it is that they have to say. Persons who um, are in politics like they're in office, right? Versus those who are like advocates for a a certain political uh, way of life. And, 
you know, when you get one-on-one with people, when you get out of the noise, you get to kind of hear where people are coming from and what are their concerns about life. Uh, but, you know, when you get into like the social media realm, when you look at newspapers, when you look at television, then all of a sudden, you know, what you see in the media and what I have seen like on the ground talking with people are like completely two totally different things. Right. And I have to be like, mm, do I want to go through that? And do I want to take my family through that? Um, I have a particular disposition. I'll be honest with you. Um I'm, I'm pretty like emotionless uh, when I step out my door and have to engage in work. And I think, you know, if somebody ever got personal with me, you know, ad hominem attacks because they've run out of the, the mental ability to engage in an idea and critique it in a thoughtful and reasonable manner. Uh, and when they descend into ad hominem attacks and, you know, stereotypes, everybody's seen it. More than likely you've done it. And I'm like, do I want to go through that? Because I might click. Let's be honest. I might click on you and then get back to the to the idea. So, you know, that takes some prayer. That takes some obviously remembering uh, the dignity and worth of an individual that you are engaging with, that you have a different viewpoint of life. Um, so am I prepared to go through that? Third thing is this. When people have asked me, Hey, are you going to run for office? This is the one thing I do know. Running for office costs money. Right? And so then I ask myself this, self. Has said individual who is asking me to run for office for whatever reason, have they supported the work that I'm doing already financially? Right? Because pretty much what you see me do in Coho, right? and Humanity Matters and all that is pretty much what you're going to get if I were to run and if by God's grace he was like, hey, Philip, I got a joke for you. You won that office, right? I'm going to put you in it. But needless to say, to get there, it costs money. So my question is, are you supporting me and my organization and the work that I'm doing now financially? And if not, why? Because the guy that's doing this stuff now and who's been doing it for the last 13 years is the same guy, the same guy, listen to that, the same guy who would be acting and engaging with local officials, police departments, community officials the same exact way. I mean, I'm just, you're just adding some kind of title at the beginning of my name. But I'm still doing it. But in order to get there, it requires some financial support. So, uh, if you would like to see me run for office, what's an encouragement? Make a donation to Coho, coho58.org. There's a donate button. You can donate right then and there. You know, that kind of gives me like, hey, because I'll tell you, I'm not going to be bought. It ain't that serious. I've lost, I'll be honest with you, I've lost donors over the positions that I've taken on mm, mm, other issues in in the world and you know what when i lose like a 500 dollars a month donor i'd be like well okay i mean that's your business right that just demonstrates to you to me that you wanted me to 
say and do things in a particular way. And that's just not me. I'm like a heterodox type person. I'm always pushing the envelope. I'm always going to ask questions. Um, I don't take any, I don't come at anybody personally, but I'm a read, I'm a think, I'm a research. And then I'm coming with questions and I'm not looking for like, uh, simple dismissive answers. I want some meat to it. So, hey, you want to see me run for office? You want to encourage me? Like support the organization what I'm doing right now. Helping kids with education, helping house the homeless, building homes to house the homeless and veterans and low-income persons, improve communities that are in low-income areas. That's the stuff I'm doing already. Right? And I'm asking you freely to do it. The last thing is this in regards to politicians. It is my firm belief, and this is what has informed me, uh, reading things such as Frederick Bastiat, uh, Rothbard, um, reading uh, economists like Thomas Sowell, Milton Friedman, um, those type individuals, Walter Williams. um, I would not be a person that would come into office to get a law passed that would force one group of people to do things for another group of people. I just, I just don't see that. I believe persuasion um, is the best thing. And that's what I've done for the last 13 years. I've sought to persuade people to, hey, once you come alongside and do this, and that takes time. And that takes a lot of sitting down and getting to understand and know people. Um, I firmly believe that a politician, he or she should be there to protect to uh, uh, he or she should be there to serve the people so that they can flourish freely as human beings. That a politician should, he or she should work at all their effort to remove every obstacle, all right, that would be a threat to somebody's life, liberty, or property. Where have I read that before? Hmm. Just something to think about. So that's my answer to when will I run for office I've already got my mind made up I'm just saying the mitigating factors so there that is so hey this is Dr. Philip Fletcher with Ask Dr. Phil and I will be jumping in to get some answer these questions so let's see from Jeremy what are your thoughts on the book White Fragility and the worldview it proposes so White fragility. So for transparency, I have not read the book. All right. I have heard lectures on it. I've heard the author talk about it. Um, I am not of the persuasion that um, that you should make somebody feel some type of way because of their skin color. Hello. Help me. Like, help me. So. People that look like me for generations have been mm, judged on the basis of their skin color. All right. Now, since the death of George Floyd, all these books have come out. All right. I know White Fragility is a popular one. Ibrahim uh, Kendi has got his, you know, his books coming out about, you know, anti-racism and things like that. Um, uh, but there's there's this strain of thought that is going through our society right now where it is either explicitly or implicitly communicated that by because that 
you are a white man or woman who was living here in America that by by um, because of by chance you were born white, then um, you carry with you um, a, a degree of culpability as it relates to the negative outcomes and disparities as it relates to men and women groups who are not white. And I think that's too reductionistic. Um, when we look at groups of people, all right, we look, compare groups, right? There are going to be disparities. When we look within groups, all right? So if we look within white, Caucasians here in America, you have within that group of men and women and children who are white and American, uh, a range of different outcomes on the basis of education, economics, um, social standing, um, religious beliefs, how they view the world, so on and so forth, right? So to, um, to communicate that one group of people, all right, carries with them in them, uh, and I talked about this last week, uh, what would be uh, um, a, f- from a religious perspective, an original sin, meaning racism. Uh, one mm, uh, is a is a novel thought that does not actually line up with history, because when we look at other groups in other countries, what we see is even within uh, groups from the same country, there are disparities. What explains that? So, um, you know, the worldview that white fragility proposes, um, I would, it, it is a, a worldview that has unintended consequences. Somebody, we're going to get to this question um, about what would it look like if, you know, some, essentially people took pride in their whiteness, right? White, right, white pride, like black pride or brown pride, if if and so you have groups and this is kind of the explanation as to why you've got President Donald Trump. All right. Because you've had uh, our brothers and sisters. Yes, I'm using that term. Our brothers and sisters who are white, who have been inundated by all of this information that uh, because of white privilege, uh, because they should be held culpable for slavery, uh, because what was done by their ancestors, even though that was a very small percentage that owned slavery or owned slaves, um, that because they are the majority economically and, and so on and so forth, that they have to do these things and approach persons who are non-white in such a way um, that it tries to rectify that. But it's so amorphous, right? Um how do you nail it down as to when you're able to move on? So I think white fragility and similar texts like that um, have unintended consequences uh, that actually create more tribes. Balkanization. And when you have more tribes or balkanization, when groups begin to move to their different corners, you have all types of consequences, which will actually not be good for our children and our children's children.
So I think the response to white fragility is sitting down with individuals, recognizing the things that individuals, regardless of their skin color, have in common with one another, but also recognizing that even between those individuals, when you hear about their life experiences, what you realize is this, is that we have completely different visions of the world and how we want to go about them. And again, circling back around uh, to that first question, how can we support individuals in pursuing their maximum amount of freedom to flourish as human being while not doing that at the expense of another individual or even a group of people. I understand people are going to come together to do things. It is within us to come together to work on things. All right. But then also for us to, once we've done our thing to like go our individual way. So those are my thoughts on white fragility. Uh, Chandler, you stated it limits what you can do because you're already doing that. Hmm. Okay. And that is why you cannot be bought. Many politicians are bought. Yeah, I think uh, I've heard it said once. Uh, for those that go down to Little Rock, they get what's called marble fever. I always thought that was interesting. I always thought that was interesting. All right, let's get on to the next one. Uh, what could the police in Conway in the Conway video have done differently? Mm. So if you're not familiar... Uh, last Thursday, the city of Conway and the Conway PD released a video uh, about the arrest of Lionel Morris that happened February 4th, 2020. And what you see in that video happens at Harps. Now, Harps is a grocery store here in town in Conway, if you're not from Arkansas. So it's like you got Kroger, uh, then you got like Harps, then you got like 10 box. All right on the degree of, of grocery stores. And uh, Mr. Morris and his uh, companion uh, were identified as being potential shoplifters, okay? Um, so the police came, they arrested his female companion. Mr. Morris, he ran, uh, got into, he basically resisted arrest. It is reported that he pulled a knife, um, he was disarmed, um, he was tased, uh, and they fi finally subdued him. And in the video, and I point this out at the five minute mark of the video, what happens is you see Mr. Morris handcuffed, laying face down on the ground, and the cops are just standing there. And one of the cops moves Mr. Morris and he places his uh, right foot on the back of uh, Mr. Morris. Mr. Morris is heard saying, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. All right. On transport to the hospital, Mr. Morris dies. All right. So what could they have done differently? So a lot of things, there's many variables that's going on here in this whole situation. I personally wish Mr. Morris had not run. I personally uh, would have loved to have seen him uh, just be arrested, you know, taken to Faulkner County Jail and then go through the whole process. That's not what happened. OK, um, I as someone who has served in the military and uh, who is trained for interactions kind of like that, okay, um, I try not to second guess what is going through somebody's head in that moment, 
Okay. Now, got it. Somebody pull a knife on you. You know, you kind of it kind of heightens. You know, training should kick in, and and the goal should be de-escalation. Nobody, nobody, no rational person wants to take the life of another individual. To move to the point of taking the life of another individual is like a place. There's this book that we had to read in Officer Candidate School, and it was called On Murder. All right, and it looked or On Killing. Excuse me. On killing, and it looked at uh, the psychological impact of what it takes to um, take the life of another individual. And um, in the studies, it looked at how the most intimate, uh, at the point where someone has to take the life of another individual when they're using their physical hands. So there's no type of instrument, there's no weapon like a gun, there's no bat or anything like that. But when it's done with the hands, they said comparatively, that is like uh, sexual relations between a man and a woman. It is that intimate in the taking of a life. So something has to happen within the individual to which they have made up in their mind. They are about to take the life of an individual. Now, I do not believe two things. One, those police officers went there to take the life of those persons they interacted with. And two, I do not think it was racially motivated. I'm being very clear on that. What happened was a poor, a, a clear example of the execution of training. I don't know why that officer put his foot on his back. I don't know why any person would put their foot on anybody's back. And secondly, I don't know why. When someone says, I can't breathe, that you immediately stop doing what you're doing so that they can continue to breathe. So what could they have done differently? Um, left that man there on the ground handcuffed or picked him up, you know, sat him up until the medical personnel had arrived. All right. Uh, because he said he was, I think he said he had a heart condition or something like that. Um, so it's unfortunate that happened. Uh, it's unfortunate um, that that was in February. And here's my critique that our city leaders and police leaders had that video um, of that event that happened that way. And then all of this other stuff. I'm looking at this in the context, especially of what happened with George Floyd. OK, you have George Floyd and what happened with him. Not the same, but the response of George Floyd and Lionel was, was the same. I can't breathe. Right. And, you know, you have this video release now after everything has kind of died down. Um, the rationale as to why releasing that video now, you know, I don't know. Uh, but now there's a. A internal investigation that's going on and hey some changes have to continue to happen and i think that's reasonable uh to ask men and women regardless of their ethnicity should uh know that even if they have an inter a interaction with law enforcement individuals that uh they are going to have the opportunity uh, to go to trial and uh, exercise their constitutional rights. All right. Uh, they will be able to face their accuser and be able to make a defense and then 
if you're found guilty, you're found guilty. If you're, you're not guilty, if you're guilty, you know, you got to pay the piper. Uh, but I do understand this. Um, and I have to say to people, uh, I, 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 I say this to people, period. Okay. Um, I would prefer that you suffer the shame of being arrested in handcuffed. That's a brief moment than the long-term consequence of death. I mean, I, I think that's, that's something that we could consider. Uh, but I think because of the zeitgeist that's going on right now, uh, what people are hearing about law enforcement and how they believe or assume they're going to be treated by law enforcement when that assumption may not be based in reality, I think that's having uh, some deleterious effects on people and I th- we need to take step back, sit down, listen to one another so that people can go home. People can go home. Or and or people can have their day in court and challenge everything that is going on. Um, you know, I'm just hopeful about that. So, hey, this is Ask Dr. Phil. Good question um, on the Conway police. Is there anything I would do differently since moving to Conway? I don't know. I don't know. Raised three great kids. Uh, All of them have graduated Conway High and gone on to do their thing. Uh, Nichelle, our youngest, she was going to University of Arkansas on coming in two weeks. So getting ready to move her up there. Nicole is about to rock out and become a midwife and, you know, all the things she's done in regards to being a doula and training all these women to be doulas and the number of babies that she's helped birth. And um, I don't know if I would change anything. You know, I don't know if I would change anything. So uh, thankful to be here. Conway, it had to grow on me because I like big cities and all that good stuff. And, you know, the slowness has is, is been okay. So I don't think I would do anything different. Don't think at all. All right, Ramona, what you got? How to keep a friendship with someone that has different political beliefs? Great question, Ramona. The answer is in your question. The friendship. All right? The friendship. Here's the beautiful thing about friendship. All right? If you have a friend, friends, that relationship is tested through adversity, right? I've heard it said, you know, you can have a friend and got it. Everything's going well. You know, y'all hanging out, you know, getting drinks, getting coffee, you know, having movie nights, you know, whatever you're doing, even in this Corona age that we're in right now. Uh, but the, the, how you know that, how deep that friendship goes is when it is tested. And when is it tested? It's tested when there is some level of conflict. Okay. Um, in our current situation, um, people have different political beliefs and that is okay. All right. You should be, we should be nervous. If at any point, everybody believes the same thing, because how do we learn? How do we grow? How do we understand ourselves 
And how do we go about a process of reevaluating who we are in the light of new information? Because new information should lead us to challenge assumptions that we had. Okay. So in the regards to keeping a friendship with someone that has different political beliefs, I would ask this. Do you understand your political beliefs? And then do you understand their political beliefs? So it's doing some homework, all right, of going out and say, hey, you know what? I want to understand John's political beliefs. So he said A, B, C, and D. Okay, how did he arrive at that? So what I'm not asking you to do, please don't go get your what learning about someone's political beliefs off of ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, or any of these other yet bobbleheads, right? I'm asking you to go do the hard work to understand why it is they believe what they believe politically. Once you get kind of a basis, then you go sit down with your friend and be like, hey, can we have a discussion on these things? And can you tell me why you believe these things? Why are these beliefs important to you? Okay, but at the same time, you have to be humble to have the same interrogation, too strong of a word, the same um, critique, questioning to be put your way as well, because none of us have 100 percent knowledge. Political beliefs, you know, you've got people seeking to negotiate, all right, their relation, their individual relationship to society and then the law and how we come up with decisions so that people who are living within this society are able to go about and you know achieve what it is that they want to achieve in life and so i would encourage you ramona um learn one about your own beliefs to learn about your friends beliefs and then Three, sit down and have that conversation and, you know, go through that back and forth. And, you know, there is a high probability you're going to be persuaded on some things and you're going to persuade them on some things. And that's the beauty of it and of being in a civil society. Hey, this is Dr. Philip Fletcher with Ask Dr. Phil. If you have a question, put it in the comment section. Hey, invite somebody to the watch party. I'm giving away three books, three t-shirts. All right. Uh, for Hope Village. Um, yeah. So what you need to do is like the page, invite people to a watch party to this, um, and give me like a happy face or something in the comment section. I don't know. Smiley face, whatever your emoji is that you choose to do. Uh, I'll leave that to you. Let me know that you out there. So, Woo-wee! Let's get to these statues, shall we? Yeah. So yesterday, individual by the name of Kip Brown, um, he had put out on Facebook that he intended to like <laughs> bring down this. Uh, there's a Confederate statue down at the Capitol in Little Rock, right? And apparently, you know, a radio personality here in Little Rock got wind of that. He talked about that on the radio. Um, apparently it was implied that Mr. Brown had made some, um, threatening statements. And as a result, uh, 
yesterday was pretty live, right? So you had uh, like some Black Lives Matter people down and they were armed, right? And you had uh, people who were protecting the Confederate statue. They were armed too, right? Now, I put a picture up, right? So, you know, I'm familiar with all types of weapons, right? Firearms and things like that. You look at the picture, nobody's weapon is loaded, right? There is one guy who's got like poor muscle discipline and he's got like his hand on his muscle and his face upward. I'm like, bruh, what are you doing, right? But none of them had the, um, saw a lot of AR-15s. Um, none of them had magazines. And why? Because according to the law, you can carry, but it can't be loaded. All right. Can't be can't have a magazine, can't have one chambered or anything like that. So it was like more for show. Right. Um, as you see, these Arkansans down in Little Rock and, uh, you know, as usual, you know, people are trying to interpret things. So I got a question about the Confederacy and these statues. Now we got a statue up here in Faulkner County as well. At the Faulkner County Courthouse, it's a it's an obelisk monument. sits in front of the courthouse. Been there since like the 1920s. Like a lot of these went up during the Civil Rights Movement. Help me, like help me, right? But you know, private funds were raised. Uh, Daughters of Confederacy. I think Sons of Confederacy had some involvement as well. They raised this money. You know, got these things put up right. Private groups raise private money to um, put these Confederate things up, right? Now, some of the things that I've seen regarding the, uh, there's kind of like this thing like, you know, we are seeking to celebrate our heritage and our Southern heritage. It's, you know, it's honoring those who, uh, sons who fought in the Confederacy, you know, for the heritage and things like that. You know, it's not it wasn't about slavery. It was about tax and and trade and uh, the union, uh, northern aggression, you know, those terms. And I said, OK, all right. All right. OK. So, ladies and gentlemen. My question. And I'm going way out on a limb here. All right. Because I've kind of held. I, actually, I talked about this like five years ago with the whole Confederate flag thing. But I want to get a little deep. So the Confederacy, what was they about? Like, come on. Like, what was they about? All right. So I'm a historian. So the best way to understand what somebody is about is to go read their own words. Okay. I'm not talking about the lost cause and, you know, all that stuff that developed out of that post reconstruction and all that kind of stuff. What did those men say as to why they were seceding or they were seceding uh, from the union? What did they say? So, I did some research, as we all should. Facts, not feelings. Okay, uh, so we want to. So. Uh, those who are sympathetic to the Confederate States of America who live today, all right, I want to honor those men. I want to honor Jefferson Davis. I want to honor Alexander Stevens. I want to honor 
all of those men who sat in those hot rooms, you know, during the, uh, the, the mid 19th century, sat down and came up with these documents. I want to honor them and I want to speak their own words as to why they wanted their own nation. Okay. Is that, I think that's fair. All right. So we are going to turn first to the seceding document for, uh, where should we start? Where should we start? Mm. So here we go. South Carolina. Now, South Carolina and it's titled the Declaration of Immediate Causes, which induce and justify the secession of South Carolina from the Federal Union. So these are their words, their words. Now, slavery is mentioned 18 times in this document. Tax and trade is mentioned one time. One time. So it opens with this and I quote. The people of the state of South Carolina in convention assembled on the 26th day of April 1852 declared that the frequent violations of the Constitution of the United States by the federal government and its encroachments upon the reserved rights of the states fully justified this state in then withdrawing from the federal union. But in deference to the opinions and wishes of other slave holding states, she forbore at that time to exercise this right. Since that time, these encroachments have continued to increase and further forbearance ceases to be virtue. A virtue. So, they were clear to lay out slaveholding states. Not on the basis of taxes, not on the basis of trade. Slaveholding states. All right. What about Mississippi. Mississippi, the home of the president of the Confederacy, Jefferson Davis. All right. Now, yeah, these these guys are awesome. All right. And I quote a declaration of the immediate causes which induce and justify the secession of the state of Mississippi from the federal union. I, what I'm doing, I'm setting up this whole thing about the statues. Who are we honoring? What were they fighting for? OK. In the moment, and I quote, in the momentous step which our state has taken of dissolving its connection with the government of which we so long formed a part, it is but just that we should declare the prominent reasons which have induced our course. This is the first thing they mention. Our position is thoroughly identified with the institution of slavery, the greatest material interest of the world. Its labor supplies the product which constitutes by far the largest and most important portion of commerce of the earth. These products are peculiar to the climate verging on the tropical regions and by the imperious law of nature. None but the black race can bear exposure to the tropical sun. These products have become necessities of the world and a blow at slavery is a blow at commerce and civilization. That blow has been long aimed at the institution and was at the point of reaching its consummation. There was no choice left us but submission to the mandates of abolition or a dissolution of the union whose principles have been subverted to work out our ruin. 
Mississippi, 10 times slave or slavery is mentioned. Zero times do they mention tax or trade. All right. Georgia. Oh, Georgia is a good one. Slavery is mentioned 26 times. The word slave is mentioned nine times. The word trade is mentioned one time. One time. One time. All right. So here we go. Because, you know, people would be like, Philip, you just making this up or, you know, that's not why they went through secession. Right. Okay. well, this is what they said. Okay. Confederate States of America, Georgia secession. The people of Georgia, having dissolved their political connection with the government of the United States of America, present to their Confederates and the world the causes which have led to the separation. The causes. For the last 10 years, we have had numerous and serious causes of complaint against our non-slave holding Confederate states with reference to the subject of African slavery. They have endeavored to weaken our security, to disturb our domestic peace and tranquility and persistently refuse to comply with their express constitutional obligations to us in reference to that property, not people, property. Okay. And by the use of their power in the federal government has striven to deprive us of an equal enjoyment of the common territories of the republic. And they call it a hostile policy. All right. What about the great state of Texas? Okay. Please bear with me here. Confederate States of America, a declaration of the causes which impel the state of Texas to to secede from the federal union. And I quote, the government of the United States by certain joint resolutions bearing date the first day of March in the year 1845 proposed to the Republic of Texas, then a free, sovereign, and independent nation, the annexation of the latter to the former as one of the co-equal states thereof. All right. Texas abandoned her separate national existence and consented to become one of the Confederated Union to promote her welfare, ensure domestic tranquility, and secure more substantially the blessings of peace and liberty to her people. They're quoting the preamble. Okay. She was received into the Confederacy with her own constitution under the guarantee of the federal constitution and the compact of annexation that she should enjoy these blessings. All right. She was received as a Commonwealth holding, maintaining and protecting the institution known as Negro slavery, the servitude of the African to the white race within her limits, a relation that had existed from the first settlement of her wilderness by the white race and which her people intended should exist in all future time. Her institutions and geographical positions established the strongest ties between her and other slaveholding states of the Confederacy. Those ties have been strengthened by the association. But what has been the course of the government of the United States and of the people and the authorities of the non-slaveholding states since our connection with them? And they roll into. So, again. Texas mentioned slavery and slave 25 times. Tax or trade mentioned zero times. Now, if you still don't believe the Confederate men who put their lives on the line for this institution, these men that are celebrated in statues and obelisk monuments and things like that, 
as to why the CSA existed. If you still don't believe me, listen, let's hear from the vice president of the CSA himself. His cornerstone speech. That is what it's called. Mr. Alexander Stevens. This was given March 21st, 1861. All right. And here we go. And I quote. And he's comparing the Confederate government to the United States government. Okay. And I quote. Our new government is founded upon exactly the opposite ideas. Its foundations are laid. Its cornerstone rests upon the great truth that the Negro is not equal to the white man, that slavery subordination to the superior race is his natural and moral condition. Close quote. So, these statues. Those are their words, not mine. No mention of tax, or excuse me, two mentions of tax and or trade, one, two, in, in the South Carolina, Mississippi, Georgia, Texas secession documents. The cornerstone mentions slaves six times, and it says what? Their government, the cornerstone rests that people that look like me, that was our natural state, our natural state. Okay. Okay. All right. So in answer to this question, what are we to do? I simply have this statement. So the institution honored in the monuments and statues, either those men that I just read for, they were lying. And if they were lying, the lies that were lost in that four year war is the greatest, second greatest horror perpetrated on Southern lives other than slavery. So either those documents are not true and what they said was not true. And if it wasn't true, that is as great as an evil as the institution that we're seeking to protect. Or my brothers and sisters that's sympathetic to the Confederate States of America, even to this day, you can't face the truth having to hide behind such words as heritage, Southern way of life, calling such progress as Northern aggression or tyranny. Ladies and gentlemen, there's no participation trophies in war. This is not. There's no participation trophies in war. War is about the imposition of one party's will on the will of another. And the union imposed its will 
on the Confederate States of America and the Confederate States of America who sought secession in order to build a government on the truth that the natural and moral disposition of Negroes was slavery to the superior white race. That was put into the ground. But here's my question. Let's assume to my Confederate sympathizers, statues, flag waving and all that. Let's let's as a mental exercise. What if Lincoln said, hey, y'all know what? Y'all do you down in the south. We're going to do us up in the north, but we're going to still do this to maintain the union. Right. At what point would the south. Have allowed Negroes to be free. At what point? Because these documents laid out that slavery was something for all time. So I'm trying to figure out at what point would the South have said, hey, y'all know what? We're setting all y'all free. It's, that, it's better that y'all just be free. At what point? Because Reconstruction demonstrated, Jim Crow demonstrated that apparently, um, yeah, we still didn't see y'all as human beings. So I'm trying to figure out, I'm challenging my sympathizers to the CSA, sympathizers to all these statues. At what point would the South have recognized the human dignity, the personality, the value, worth, the inherent equality of Negro men and women to white men and women of the South? At what point? Or would I be in a whole different situation today? I'm just asking. Just asking. So what are my solutions? Well, it's how I started. Mine has always been, this is a private issue. So for all of my brothers and sisters who are sympathizers to the Confederacy, right? And heritage, you want to honor the sons and daughters and all that kind of stuff. I firmly believe that you need to raise your own money, build your own building and have your own museum to the Confederacy. And in doing so, people can come in your building and see all the stuff about the Confederacy. Raise the money, move those obelisk statues Get enough land where you can have a whole like <laughs> almost almost said plant. I did say it where you could have a facility where you can honor those men and that idea of the Confederacy. There's this large complaint, Philip. So I'm swinging to your question now, Philip Grant. There's this whole thing about. You know, erasing history, rewriting history, cancel culture, all that kind of good stuff. I appeal to 
my brothers and sisters who sympathize to these statues, to these flags, okay? Tell the whole story. Start with those documents. Tell the whole story as to why. Don't give people the whole lost cause version. Give people, honor, honor those politicians, honor Jefferson Davis, honor Vice President Stevens of the Confederate States of America. Use their words. Honor them. That's all I'm saying. And then raise the money. Get your own facility. And, you know, build something. And, you know, support it. Because just like you don't like people coming to try to take down those statues, I don't like my tax dollars going to maintain that stuff. Meaning cut the grass, whatever has to happen. As long as it sits on taxpayer property, I'm funding that joker. I'm just asking. Be consistent. Be consistent, bros. Sis, be consistent. I love y'all. Y'all made in the image and likeness of God. Y'all beautiful souls. Just like on some things I'm wrong, I think y'all wrong on this. And so that's me answering that question. All right. All right. Paul Calvert. Paul Calvert. How do you talk to conservatives about police misbehavior without them becoming hateful? All righty. Good question, Paul. Uh, Good question, Paul. How do we talk to conservatives about police misbehavior without becoming hateful? Okay, my conservative brothers and sisters, I'm coming your way. All right. So let's look at this, conservatives. So the police enforce the law. The law comes about because politicians get together and they basically say, this is what the people can do. This is what the people can't do. Right. And if they break this law, we're going to fine them or jail them. Okay, Um, I wouldn't be that kind of politician. But anyways, I'd vote no on that stuff all the time, to be honest with you. But anyways, so legislators pass the laws, the executive signs it into 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 law, and then it falls on these police officers <laughs> to enforce these laws. Ain't it funny how those that pass the laws don't bear the burden of actually enforcing the laws? Anyways, just something for you to think about. So these men and women have to go out. They have to go out on a daily basis and interact with people. Okay. And people are like, well, what the heck is going on? Like, really? Like, really? You pulled me over for that? Like, really? I'm getting fined because my grass is that high? Like, really? I was late and you're fining me? Like, so... Law enforcement. Okay. The law enforcement is doing that. Why? Because legislators said, hey, we want this law to happen. We're going to get some cheddar. How are we going to get that cheddar? We'll do it on the backs of the people that we represent. Hold on one second, please. I hope y'all learning something here. Uh, 
have to restart my recording here. All right, from Sarah. Okay. A pastor I follow shared his opinion on Facebook about the NBA and the national anthem using the phrase whiny thugs. Oh, when someone pointed out to him that the word thug had a racial connotation, he denied that he used it in that way and that it applied to all colors. So two questions. First, it's not the first time that I have heard a fellow white person use the word thug. And defend it by saying they apply to all colors when it seems obvious that the group of individuals they are referring to are predominantly not white. So do you see this word as mainly or only racially charged? And if so, what advice could you give about speaking truth with love to friends and family who typically use this word or similar words? Great question, Sarah. All right. So thug is like one of those words that move from application to one group to a, the next. So in the prohibition type period, that that term was typically applied to like Italians. And then it, you know, it's transitioned to where uh, for a period of time that it was, you know, applied to black males. I actually don't really hear that word. It was not used like, you know, hey, thug. I remember Tupac, um, he took thug and he turned it and created an acronym. And it's the hate you give leaves infants effed forever. All right. It's not F, it's another word. But he took that thug life with his tattooed across his belly, and that's what it means, all right? Actually, there was a book that came out, The Hate You Give, right? Thug life, that's where it came from. Okay, now as far as the racial undertones of that, I would, uh, I would hesitate to say that has racial undertones. I wouldn't compare it to other words that are used that are specific to different ethnic groups. Um, Every ethnic group has a racial epithet that is directed to it, all right? White people have it, black people have it in America, Uh, Mexican-Americans have it, Asian-Americans have it. Everybody, it's it's a term that is thrown in every direction. Uh, right now, uh, it is assumed that when the word thug is used, it is a, a pejorative directed at black males. Right now, we look at context uh, over 70 percent of the NBA are black males. Right. Um, and so for a pastor to use the term whiny thugs, first of all, is beneath his role as a pastor. A pastor should be uh, doing and saying those things uh, that makes the gospel attractive, right? To use words of John Piper. Uh, He should be uh, a hedonist taking pleasure in spreading the supremacy of God revealed in Jesus Christ, right? And so to use a word like whiny thugs, um, which more than likely um, had no um, intention of directing anybody to the gospel um, was an infor- was a very unfortunate statement. Uh, so to answer your question, do I see the word as mainly or only racially charged? I see it as uh, all words. Uh, words move through context, and so like I said before, thug was used with a, one racial ethnic group at one time, 
Now it's moved to another. Like, for instance, the word, the N-word, all right? At one time, that was not associated with black people. Early on in America's history, the N-word was actually associated to white people to explain poor white people who were not smart, right? But those poor white people then took that word and applied it to black or Negroes and slaves, and then it's kind of like stuck, right? Um, and so what advice would I give about speaking truth with love to friends or family who typically use this word or similar words? Um, I would encourage people, first of all, uh, to like, hey, that person has a name. He's a human being. So if you have a critique about what that man or woman is doing, then acknowledge him or her by his or her name. And then we can critique the action. Okay. Um, And then ask the person who has a criticism of that action, like, what is it that bothers you about that action? Okay. Now, you know, I've always questioned, Sarah, this is kind of like, this is free. Um, why do we even play the national anthem at sporting events in the first place? I'm there to like watch a game, you know, to watch a game. So why it's used, I don't know. I would prefer, honestly, that it would just not be used. Like play ball or throw the ball up and let's play some hoops or throw the ball out and, you know, play ball with baseball or drop the hooky puck or whatever the sport is, okay? Um, but, you know, as soon as you use pejoratives, whether it's thug, idiot, fool, stupid, dumb, you've, you've lost the moral high ground. And what you're demonstrating is you've, you're lacking the intelligent, the knowledge. You're lacking the intelligence. You're lacking the skill to come up with, a, with an argument to engage with a conversation in which both people could learn from. So... I would uh, just encourage you to remind the people that you're around um, that if we want to have conversation that's going to move us toward a better place, then let's recognize who we are as human beings. Let's recognize uh, that we have different perspectives on life and there's things that we can learn from one another. But to use pejoratives, you know, it's not helpful. And so uh, there's that's what that is. All right, let's keep rolling. Okay, thug, thug, thug. Okay, Paul, but what about police officers who actually violate the law and thereby violate people? Well, so, again, again, you just said it, violate the law. So, police officers don't produce the laws. The legislators do. So, if you live in, like, Conway, then you got to talk to... uh, or if you live like in Faulkner County in this area, central Arkansas, then you need to talk to uh, Stephen Meeks, Spencer Hawks, Jason Raper, uh, McGee. You need to talk to your city council. You need to talk to all of those individuals who have the authority to produce ordinances at the city level, ordinances at the county level, laws at the state level. And say, hey. Can we look at our laws as it relates to police officers? That's one of the things that has to be done. We need to. I know there's a lot of discussion about qualified immunity and, you know, people go back and forth on that. I don't have a a. uh, 
I have not come down on either side of that. I need to do more research and read studies on that as far as qualified immunity. But what we can do, right, is look at the laws and say, hey, this is some things that we need to consider. But again, that requires work on our part. It requires work on our part and holding them accountable. All right. Uh, Nicole, it does seem like the term thug is often referred to people of color. In the reverse, I hear the term good people often referred to white people, but maybe that is just from Donald Trump and Raper. Wow. Okay. Yes. Ha ha. Fernando says that super confusing to someone who is not from the States. Mm, good point. All right. Thank you. That was practical and helpful. Hey, you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. All righty, peoples. So I think I've hit all my questions for Ask Dr. Phil. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Finally. Um, I said that, I said that, I said that. I said that. Okay, good deal. All right, peoples. So, great questions. Great interactions with everybody. Hey, again, let me reiterate some things as I close. For those that have a consider, uh, are like, ooh, Philip needs to run for office, right? And I'll throw some cheddar at that. Hey, throw some cheddar at my nonprofit first. Because not waiting on the government to do anything. We're just doing it, right? The answers come from us everyday people. Uh, government moves like this. Okay, that's how fast government moves, right? But look at it when a group of us get together to be like, ooh, food boxes, ooh, helping people with rent, ooh, helping people get a job, ooh, helping people with housing. You ain't got to wait on them. Like, you ain't got to wait on them because there's a whole lot of actors at play at that very moment. Um, Yeah, like, I'm just trying to call it like it is, y'all, like. Like, let me say this real quick, and I and I and I'm, I digress, right? I put out on Facebook uh, yesterday. Okay, it, it seems a little over the top, but I made the statement to make a point, right? They got us fighting against each other, and they over there collecting checks. It's like what a pimp does to his prostitutes, or her <laughs> pros, a made up madam does to hers, like. Y'all go and fight with each other, but y'all better make sure you bring my money. Like, we got to stop fighting amongst ourselves and realize that there are things each one of us can bring to the table to produce solutions that are specific to where we live. What we need to have accomplished in Conway is not what is needed to have accomplished in Little Rock. It's just not. Too many different variables at play. Two different types of economies. Like, it's, it's completely different. What we need to happen in Arkansas is completely different than what is needed to happen in Mississippi. Or in Texas, or in Tennessee. Like, how can we get together at the lowest level combine our skills, our talents, our goals, right, to to make a difference. Here's the thing about when you organize, right, 
Um, so it's part of my dis- I, my dissertation. Part of it was in how groups organize. Right. So part of it is this people affiliate because they recognize they have common goals. Right. And when they get together to have common goals. All right. They realize this affiliation that they have one, one another, one another. And then the other thing they do is they try to figure out power differences. OK, so, OK, he's going to do this. She's going to do that. Oh, she's skilled to lead in this. Oh, he's skilled to lead in that. OK. And so as that is happening for that period of time, that group comes together to achieve individual goals, but also group goals those individual goals are actually tied to the group goals. And then once it's over, then they're like, okay, I'm going to go on to my next thing. That's just something to think about. And so, yeah, you know, running for office, cool, uh, and all that kind of good stuff. Um, but hey, you can support what we are doing right now, right? But like I said, I already got my mind made up. I do. Um, the other thing is this, um, life is good. Y'all it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Life is good. Even with Corona life is good. All right. It's going to be all right. Just remember to be love, to be kind, to be generous. Again, connect with me, Dr. Philip Fletcher, like this page. Find my organization, City of Hope Outreach Facebook page, Hope Village Facebook page, Replicate Facebook page. We have websites, coho58.org, hopevillagecoho.org, also philipfletcher.org. Find me on Instagram, Dr. Philip Fletcher, at Twitter, at Phil Fletcher. Yes, my shirt. What does my shirt say? Planned Parenthood has been more successful than the Ku Klux Klan. Yes. Yes. So, there's that. If you want to know why that is, inbox me and I'll tell you. So, I appreciate y'all. Love y'all very much. I'm about to get out of here and enjoy the rest of the evening. Get ready for the week. All right, y'all take care. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Humanity Matters podcast. For more information, visit the website philipfletcher.org or send us an email at humanitymatterspodcast at gmail.com. And remember, as always, if we remember to live in hope, we can do the impossible. So be love, be kind, and be generous. <laughs>